when you get caught between the moon and New York City. I know it's crazy, but it's true. If you get caught between the moon and New York City, the best you can do, the best that you can do is fall in love. Welcome to Comedy Killed the Video Star, the podcast where I have a guest on to talk about three videos that they love, hate, love to hate, or just baffle them based loosely around some kind of theme. I am your host. My name is Matthew Shadorn. Started today's episode with some amazing lyrics from a song that did not make the cut for today's episode of videos based on songs that have the same title as a movie. Those are actual honest to God lyrics from a song called Arthur's Theme from the 1981 Dudley Moore, Liza Minnella comedy, Arthur. And you know what? It's good advice. I'm going to say that right now. You know, if you are between the moon and New York City, it's almost 385,000 kilometers. So there's quite a bit of, of literal space in there. And, you know, if you are in the inky black vacuum of space and, you know, you do find yourself in that situation, I feel like most outcomes are going to turn out bad. So if you can make a real human connection with somebody, I mean, I do feel like that is probably the best you're going to do because I'm going to guess 90 percent of outcomes at least involve you freezing to death before you even have a chance to suffocate or some kind of terrible explosive decompression none of these are good options but you know what is great falling in love that song arthur's theme by christopher cross that song won an oscar for best original song from a film the academy awards thought that was the best movie-related song of 1981. I don't have a lot of criticism for that because I really don't know what some of the other songs were. I did look this up and none of them really struck me as, as, as memorable. This song does come up in the episode. It gets a brief mention, at which point uh, my nice guest, Graham Hunter, calls me old. And that's fair. This song was on the radio a lot when I was a kid. It was very big in an adult contemporary kind of stations my parents would listen to. So I heard it a lot of times. I do not understand what it means. It is even weirder when you break down the song because it is that chorus. There's a verse that's just kind of a standard love song. And then there's another verse, only two verses for this, where it kind of explains the premise of Arthur. And it feels very much like Christopher Cross wrote a regular old love song. And then the producers of Arthur approached him and said, hey, can you drop in some references to Dudley Moore in the back half of the song? And he did. And the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, which let's face it, is much more art than science, decided that was the best song of 1981. So good for them. It's worth a listen. It's easy listening, gold. It's a very mellow song. Anyways, we're not here to talk about Arthur's theme. We are here to talk about some other music from the movies. So let's get into that. If you have a chance, please do rate and review. Subscribe to the podcast. It really helps other people find it. And we are a very small operation right now. Send us an email at comedykillthevideostar at gmail.com to let us know how we're doing. And thank you so much for listening. And just a quick shout out, original music by the original Sarah Mann. And with no further ado, here is our episode with the very knowledgeable and the funny Graham Hunter. Welcome to the show, uh, Graham Hunter. How are you doing today, Graham? I'm good, I'm good. That's good. So, Graham, you have brought a couple great music videos that are loosely themed around songs from the movies. Yeah, or- they're both absolutely great to good songs and medium to horrific videos. Yeah, I would. S- both the songs you brought are very earwormy, and 
I will admit that I listened to one a surprising amount just in my day to day life. <laughs> and we'll get to that when we get to that. But like, yeah, these are these are kind of like songs that it's a type of song that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. I, where I, I, it is like the the narrative of the movie in song form. And and yeah, I don't I don't I think the world's a sadder place for it. You know, like because one of these is Will Smith. Right. And the great thing about that was like, not only was he doing the theme song for the movie and it was also a summation of the movie, but he also starred in those movies. Yeah. And I've, I feel like it's just such a, he's like such an amazing triple threat, I guess. Oh, he's, he can technically do it all whilst doing none of it. I think would be my argument. <laughs> right. I think Maybe- he, absolutely, he, he is a rapper. He is an actor, you know, he's, he's a dancer. But, I mean, uh, one of the joys of many Will Smith videos are the is the limited choreography bits that they do, because there's always a big choreography bit with Will Smith, and it's always quite simple, because with those sort of things, the guy, the, the guy, the woman at the front, has to be leading, but the steps have got to be easy enough for them to do. But obviously, the paid dancers can do, they're fine. Right. It's just like I'm not so sure that the that Will Smith is a great dancer, is all I will say. I see your point here, and this might be best exemplified by the third and final installment in the Will Smith sings his own theme song trilogy, uh <laughs> Men in Black Two Absolutely. is just nod your head, which yeah. what simpler dance move could there possibly be <laughs> than just like nodding your head? in time with the music yeah you know we'll get to it but the in the wild wild west video i do feel like uh, will's female dance partners are certainly doing a lot more of the work than uh, yes. he is they're just spinning around him and then the biggest contribution he does is he tears their skirts off i think multiple times in the, in yeah. the at least once but maybe twice in the, in the direct in the, film, in the yeah. video but yeah let's get but let's get started with with the og movie music theme song anthem for no generation ghostbusters which is, I think, I think if you if you were to ask people like, what is the theme song movie song? It's probably this. Um, you might get some nine to five. You might even get some Arthur's. I don't know. No, yeah, very, very much dating yourself there, Matt. Uh, yeah, I do feel like that's that's too much. Uh, I, I would I would definitely say this. I would say the power of love. Um, Huey Lewis. Oh, from yeah, Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, th- I think those would be the two absolute monsters. I think anybody that's vaguely alive from the time that Ghostbusters come out came out has got this. You know, this is huge to them. Yeah. You know, regardless of if you like it, you know it's huge. Sure. It couldn't be a simpler song in many ways because it is just like, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. You got the classic call and response. Yeah. Literally call and response. <laughs> you know, it's got... Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't know. I can... Oh, it's got the Bustin makes me feel good, which is a classic yeah. line. And I still use it in my everyday life. Yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you know much about Ray Parker Jr.? Because I forgot to figure out. I Not feel like well. I knew about him, but I've forgotten. It, it definitely was pretty much the only big thing. But do you know about the whole Huey Lewis element of Ghostbusters? I do know about this, yes. I've known about this for... Yeah, I think you probably would, but... So there's Huey Lewis was originally contracted to write the Ghostbusters theme tune. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that part of it. Yeah, this is why he won the court case so easily. He was contracted to do it. 
and then things didn't work out for whatever reason, but you know, amicably didn't work out. Then Ray Parker Jr. comes along, just Ghostbusters theme, and Huey Lewis turns around and says, that awfully sounds like the song I was intending to give you, which he had released, called I Want a, I Want a New Drug. And it's quite a light. It's very much a light. And yeah. uh, he totally won the court case, totally won a lot of money for it. Mm-hmm. And then totally talked about it on an episode of VH1's Behind the Music many years later, broke the non-disclosure agreement and thus lost a court case to Ray Parker Jr. for <laughs> talking about it. Who basically, I think, it, it's not quite stated, obviously because Ray Parker Jr. Was, cle- was clever enough not to fall into the same trap and say right. how much money he got for it. But he did say, yeah, I did all right out of that. <laughs> he did, but, but essentially he gave Huey Lewis like a 10-year loan. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, just insane. Um, and then from that, bizarrely, um, the next year after Ghostbusters comes out, Huey Lewis does The Power of Love, which we say is one of the other definitive big movie theme songs. Yeah. I did double check to see if it was the same music studio in case that was part of the settlement. And it's mm-hmm. not. Yeah. But it was basically, I, I think he was able to go to music studios and say, well, you know, I wrote that Ghostbusters. I'd give you another one of those if you want. <laughs> well, he was probably like, oh, wow, there was a lot of money in these movie theme songs. I guess yeah. if I just do it myself and cut out the middleman, you know. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I think so. I think that was the deal with it. So let's talk about the video itself. The video opens with a young lady entering what I thought was at first the Ghostbusters firehouse. It, but it, it definitely is from the outside. I think that, I think that's beyond dispute. It, it has a very outside, similar look, but it's like yeah. a brownstone that's with no other brownstones next to it. It's, yeah. It's, I think it may be sort of mid-peak of the film, possibly something like that. You know, everything's going on, the, all the clouds and the ghosts and all that stuff that goes on in the film. I think the idea is that it's maybe at that point, but... Then they go inside. I'm Wait, putting... so your your argument is that this is con- going on concurrently with the film? Possibly, yeah. Okay. And as strange as the exterior is, the interior is by far the the weirder choice. <laughs> you you may very well say that. I am a hundred percent behind every decal choice inside the Ghostbusters house here. I, I would live in this so happily. So and... if you had your druthers, you would have you would just like all of your furniture would just be outlined in neon. I, uh, I would have that. I would be wearing a Daft Punk outfit 24-7, <laughs> as would Sarah, much to her offence, probably. I haven't talked to her about it. I'm going to guess she's not up for it. Mm. But this would be perfect, absolutely perfect for me. I will take no criticism of the decor in the Ghostbusters video. That's the only thing I'm going to defend here. Really? Because I would say that it is not very functional in that the couch does not look like you could sit on it without shattering a bunch of lights. And then the curtains, so the windows are are framed by neon lights, but then there are also like billowy curtains, which are also neon light. So none of this is very practical, I'm just going to say. And also it does seem rather dark in the apartment you know there's there's drawbacks to just lighting your house with neon light there are i i i basically refuse to see them okay well i'm I'm just i'm just saying this this is you know if if i was on some decorating program you know where i go away and then somebody fancy comes in and talks some people through making over my house i come in and walk into this i i may actually be crying with happiness on the floor you know this this would just be perfect wow all right to each his own, I suppose. I find that decision 
indefensible, but whatever. So in into this already strange d- apartment comes a spectral Ray Parker Jr. Yeah. to annoy and molest this lady. That's his job for the film. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It starts to feel ominous in like this is a metaphor for domestic abuse or something, or like he's stalking her. It, it does start to really become uh, creepier and creepier as time goes on. But the first way he manifests is he, he shows up seemingly invisible to her and moves her phone around. Yeah. At which point she pulls up the neon bordered blinds and, and to look outside the window. And outside the window is the movie Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes. Well, specifically into the library from Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's actually a good point, too. It's like outside of her house is just a public library and the basement yeah. of the public library. Yeah, directly into it's not she's neighboring it. You open the window, you're in the public library. Which, yeah. I mean, it, again, in, in terms of, you know, if you were selling that property to me, that's, you know, personally, that's not going to be a downside. I see that. Yeah. A lot that, of people would like want say when they open their windows to get fresh air but what you want is like musty book smell to kind of waft yeah, into I your know. house whenever you're feeling like you need it yeah, to kind of air yeah. things out a musty book smell from a world of information <laughs> sure yeah, that, that would work for me i'm happy with that yeah i mean you can look behind me not all of these design choices are good either i'll say i'll admit mm. but um i guess it would be a step up now that you mention it but you know see this is the thing with uh, vid- music videos of this era, even when there was just a soundtrack song to the movie, often as a promotional tool, someone would make a music video and then edit in clips from the video. And it was like, I always feel like those were two different people because the clips of the movies never made sense inside the video. They were always just random images. Well, you you kind of have two choices. It's either if the if the song is meant in some way to be the story of the movie if you then show the movie as well you've pretty much given away for free about 90 percent of the elements of the film Mm. you know so you can't necessarily do that sometimes it's you know you can't give narrative what you try to give an idea is that this is sexy this is fun look at the celebrities we've got in the film you know you're you're doing the pitch job and it very much more used to be that earlier on and later, I think it became, oh, yeah, we'll pretty much show the whole film yeah. in three minutes. Just as trailers became. Yeah, trailers didn't used to show the whole film in short form. No, this is, but yeah, this is is interesting. They're like cutting between shots of ghosts, Ghostbusters running, shots of ghosts, Ghostbusters running, Bill Murray doing something silly. You know, yeah. that's kind of what they're doing. But uh, eventually, after a montage of clips, they come back to the lady is now gone to bed. She is just asleep, but outside of her window lurking is Ray Parker Jr. Yes. So up until this point, Ray Parker Jr. is a ghost, right? Right. Spectral, whatever. Uh, not physical form. Yeah. We're happy with that. My fundamental issue with this video is what is Ray Parker Jr.? And it is, is he a ghost? Is he a person? Or is he a ghostbuster? And it's right. just... So things start to get complicated around about now. So initially starts out, it seems very clear he is a ghost. Yes. Yeah, I do think that because, you know, when you watch it, half of him is kind of dissolved. He's kind of like semi-transparent and seems to be invisible to this lady. But then after that, he's never, he's always like a corporeal being after that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it could be some form of, you know, shape shift or, or even, like you know, form shifter. 
and that he has mm. spectral forms, he has physical forms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I I choose this as we've got a timeline here um, that's actually quite mixed up. And I think he starts out as a real man, then becomes a Ghostbuster, dies, and then is a ghost. And what we see in the story of the video is that cut up into different pieces and not in the right order. So do you think this is an editing mistake or an artistic choice? So is it running backwards like Memento? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that they're playing with, with the the order of the narrative to achieve even just a bit more disconcertion and fear. You know, because there's not a lot of attempts for fear here. Mm-hmm. It's a bit woo in terms of fear, but it's not ah, in terms of fear. So I think the unsettling narrative is one of the reasons one of the ways in which they're they're engendering that fear Mm, i i can't i suppose i I can see that's more like a rival and that they're they're messing with editing to elicit an emotional response Mm. but i would argue that there is some very fearsome things in here because so he after he's outside the window uh there's a shot of the lady and the the sheets start pulling back yeah. uncovering her being in some kind of negligee in a very creepy way. An invisible hand is removing the sheets. And then as she looks at the sheets, uh, what pops out from underneath her bed, but Ray Parker Jr. Clear, clearly on one of those boards that mechanics. Yeah, with the wheels. Yeah. <laughs> as if he's under there giving the bed a tune up. He is like, yeah. he just but rolls it up. It's also, but, I'm prepared to accept that his arm is long enough to have grabbed a little bit of the bed sheet and he's doing that pull the bed sheet down mm-hmm. and then having done having successfully removed it pops out from under the bed but this is the first time you see him in physical form right the first time he's solid but also it's like it's for the line an invisible man sleeping in your bed mm-hmm. and this is very much a visible man under your bed and not asleep. That's a confusing message for me do you think that the two incidences are unrelated like so there is a ghost in this lady's apartment that is doing ghostly things. And then also Ray Parker Jr., unrelated, is just under the bed. Yeah, fixing it. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah fixing it. He's it's, just, it's an, or, an innocent man with a slightly creepy smile. Yeah, or there is that hammering underneath there? And he's like, yes. Sorry, I'll keep it down. It's, no, it's just like... Possible, but this is what I choose to use as my evidence for him developing into a physical form. See, uh, maybe it is uh, if it, if things are happening in the course of the movie, he's becoming more real as the the doorway, as the veil between the living and the dead is being kind of pulled back. Yeah. He no, gains okay. more power yeah. and more... Yeah. Or he's just a weird creep underneath a nice lady's bed. It, it, all the signs point to the most likely explanation, given the, the limited evidence we have, is that he's a creep under a bed. Right, right. You know, I think they, if, if we're going to lean to any one decision here, creep under the bed seems the way to go. It, it does feel like that's the, the evidence that's mounting on that. I'm trying to see, like, after this is just a lot of footage of the Ghostbusters. He does have this uh, very rad mic stand that is also neon yeah. lights. Again. <laughs> which, yeah. Again, with that aesthetic, which yeah. is not, which implies that that is also his aesthetic and not just the woman's aesthetic. It seems like that's her apartment. I, so I, don't, her... I don't think so, because I think she enters the apartment, the apartment very tentatively, believing right. it's empty rather mm-hmm. than it being hers. She doesn't look like, oh, this she's at ease because this is her home with some questionable decor choices. She looks like she's found what she believes to be an empty house, and it's essentially squatting. You think she's squatting? Oh, this is a she, she, if you watch the body language, if you go back and watch the body language, the first 20, 30 seconds, that is not her house. 
you know, if it's your house, you come in, you throw your, your jacket over the back of the sofa and you sit down, yeah, or something similar like that. There's no, you know, she's creeping round a bit uncertain. It's not her house. Mm, I don't know. I think it's more that there's an implied past relationship with Ray Parker Jr. like stalking her. And so she's uncertain because she feels like Ray Parker Jr. might be there either in physical or spiritual form. Absolutely. No, I can I can say that. I can say that. But anyways, but she ends up in a doorway or in a hallway with it's just like a line of doors on either side. And I was sad they didn't do the Scooby Doo gag where she runs through one door and then pops out the other one yeah. and then Ray Parker Jr. and then the Harlem Globetrotters or something. Yeah. You've, you've missed a, a whole well I mean that would have been an amazing way to work in the cameo appearances in this video. Right. Yeah, we had, can we talk we about the cameo appearances now? I'll talk about the cameo appearances, but just, just to say that that rather than that, if it was like, you know, you had different people popping out of doors and going back in, in right. one later sequence that you came back to a bit, mm-hmm. it's running forever, and then different people, that would have been brilliant. That would yeah. have been the way to go. That would have been brilliant. Instead, what they did is they found a bunch of celebrities that they could shoot in front of a black wall. You know, they basically like Ivan Reitman, who also directed Ghostbusters, directed this movie or this music video. Yes. And then, yeah, he apparently just went to some of his other famous friends and was like, hey, can you just spare 10 seconds and say the word Ghostbusters? And yeah, so when you're watching this, the first few times that they say Ghostbusters, it's just like little kids popping up, which is also creepy. And we didn't talk about that, but there are just children popping up out of nowhere and saying Ghostbusters. But then at one point, all of a sudden Chevy Chase is on the screen and he's saying Ghostbusters. Yeah. And then you're like, what the hell is this? Because Chevy Chase is not in Ghostbusters. A very famous comedian, but not in Ghostbusters. And then, yeah. And then as it goes on, you get John Candy, Jeffrey Tambor. Yes, that's what that's the one that in in more recent years, seeing the video again in more recent years was like, no. <laughs> yeah, well, also Al Franken, who also canceled a gentleman for being just a general sex pest. Yeah. George Went from Cheers was in there. Danny DeVito looking very young. You forget yeah. how Danny DeVito used to look young. Actually, everybody in this looks really young. Even Peter Falk looks kind of young. Yeah. Alive for particularly, but Yeah. I was yeah, I was kind of like running this down. I was like, <clears throat> it's only John Candy and I think Peter Falk who are dead now. Yeah. I was sad, sadly, oh the Chevy Chase does still live. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say Jeffrey Tambor is still with us. Yeah. Is George Went? I guess he's alive. I feel like I would have heard if he died. I don't think he died. No, I agree with you. I think I'd have heard that. But then there's also Terry Gar and Carly Simon. Yes, she's the really she's one of the really inexplicable ones. Yeah. It does make me wonder if it was like, you know, some big studio complex at lunchtime at Ivan Reitman shouts out to the canteen, Oi, does anybody want to be in my music video? And that is the selection that then comes through. Yeah, I mean it does it does feel it it is such a strange thing i mean like today you'd be like oh they just did it at home with their own phone yeah absolutely. Uh, but but then but back in the 80s you would had to go into a studio or already be in a studio i mean i could see like i don't know see some of these people yeah there's no common thing in these people it's not like you, oh. they're all just like people from nbc sitcoms like george went yeah or I would, they... I would simply argue the thing that is uh the one thing that unites them was availability oh yeah yeah. And that like Ivan Reitman apparently had them in his Rolodex. Yes. Can I just borrow you for 10 seconds? I don't know. Yeah. Such a strange addition to this this video. 
also because some of them are really selling it. Like John Candy's trying to really sell it. And yes. he has all these like, he's like, whoa, I'm scared of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. But then some of them are just, I don't know. I guess they're all kind of selling it. It does feel like a very, there's a real lack of dignity in this. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're peppered throughout. I don't know that it's cheap celebrity. What's the word for it? I don't know. I don't know. I forget. I feel like it's uh, it's actually a little bit of fear and desperation. Yeah. I think you've kind of got to a certain point where they've just got the video and the music clip, the film clips. The film hasn't come out yet, and they're worried. Hmm. And they've gone, do you know what? What we, we need to do is just sort of just essentially get some celebrity endorsement in here. Let, let's make this video really pop by just having a load of celebrities in it very cheaply and very quickly, quite likely free. Yeah. Or like, and I get that. It's like, this is such a cultural phenomenon. Even Al Franken is here. Guys, yeah. we got Tambor. Yeah. yeah. So strange. Actually, maybe we are actually missing a point here. Maybe this is actually a carefully constructed cross-section of celebrity that hits all the bases of humanity. It appeals to everybody. We've appealed to everybody. Oh, this is this like every quadrant. We're hitting yeah. every quad. Oh, yeah, okay. We hit everything because we don't want to take any chances with this film. We're actually not sure it's going to work. So we really need to hit home with everybody with a sales job. So comedy fans were there for Chevy Chase and like Terry Gars because she's sexy and cool. And then Carly Simon's getting in the people who love easy listening music and yeah. George Wentz there for the ladies. That kind of... Yeah, absolutely. All of that. All of that. Yeah, uh, okay. I can see that, I guess. But back to how Ray Parker Jr. is stalking this lady. She tries to run up some stairs and then he just like emerges on what is clearly an elevator. Yes. And, you know, it's not very ghostly because the elevator doesn't go up to the level of the top stairs. So he still has to step up one you know which really cuts down on the idea that he's floating but then he like ominously walks towards her in a very threatening way yeah. uh, i thought it's just very like he just seems very intimidating but then he does the uh i'm doing spooky fingers at you yes. <laughs> know what this gesture is but yeah, i'm coming it's, to get you it, it's terrible but it, it's like he's also he's very happy about the fact he's stalking someone he is, yeah. He's laughing. You know, he's, he's, he says he's a bit creepy. And he, he, you know, if you're running downstairs, a half-dressed woman in the middle of the night, yeah. in a possible ghost house, we're not sure. You're Regardless. Creepy, whatever. There's no good way to do that. Mm-hmm. But he's laughing and smiling as he does it. You know, he's he's committed to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. I mean, you know, like any serial killer, he loves his work. It's a bit upsetting. And then he, as he goes into like her bedroom, he's like really in her space, like really in her personal space, yeah. like pushing her backwards, which, you know, she does sassily uh, re- rebuke him. And then they just kind of dance yeah, for a bit. Now it's fine. Now yeah. it's, you know, it's all fine. It's all good. Obviously, there was some sort of misunderstanding here. You know, and yeah. Actually, we're all right. We're fine. Because he has this thing where he's just like, you know, he's like, you need to just pick up the phone and call the Ghostbusters. And yeah. then he rips off his his jacket and underneath he's wearing a black tank top with the Ghostbusters logo, which looks great. I was like, I should get this. And I was like, no, it just looks great on Ray Parker Jr. Because he's got really big, muscly arms. <laughs> yes. But also, as I say, to my point, was he ghost? Was he man? Was he Ghostbuster? 
Yeah. No, I think this is, uh, it seems like he's a ghost at first, right? And then it turns out that he's actually just like there to tell her about the Ghostbusters. And that yeah. she should call the Ghostbusters for her ghost problems, which he seems to be causing, which I think makes this movie the link between Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2. Because if you remember the beginning of Ghostbusters 2, everybody seems to have forgotten that the Ghostbusters stopped a bunch of ghosts and they all think it was a big fraud. So I think it is because of the actions of Ray Parker Jr. here, where we can clearly see that he is being both ghost and buster. He's clearly on the same side. Because at the end of the video, he's just in Times Square dancing with the Ghostbusters. Yeah, well, I mean, there's only Ghostbusters in that that shot. Mm -hmm. There's only Ghostbusters. The four good now, there's... You know, you, you can take all the issue you want with the main three Ghostbusters being pushed as white, and then the right. spare Ghostbuster that's in a bit of the film who is black. Ernie Hudson. Yeah. And he, he, he quite a bit of the film, actually. But in terms of the promotion, there's a lot of there being, well, there's three Ghostbusters. Yeah. And it's only this last scene, really, in the music video terms, where you really push the fact, oh, there's four and Ray Parker Jr. Oh, yeah. I guess he wasn't in many of the clips either. No. Ernie Hudson gets the worst deal. You know what the deal with the Ernie Hudson character was, right? Go on. It was meant to be Eddie Murphy. Ah, right. So they were like, oh, we'll do this. We'll have these four comedians. You know, we'll have Eddie Murphy. Uh, he'll be the the Ghostbuster or whatever. And then they, Eddie Murphy either didn't want to do it or couldn't do it. And they were just like, well, we'll just, we'll still have a fourth Ghostbuster. And I guess we'll have him be black, but we won't give him anything to do. Though he does have the great line at the end of the movie, which is, I love this town, which is one of the best moments in the movie. He does get that, but he is he is given such a short shrift and he's given even worse in the second one yeah. because he is very much, it is very much seen as he is the outsider, despite the fact that he's been through all this stuff with them yeah, in, it, in the first like, movie. It's like he's totally on the payroll. He's, to, you know, he's, he's, he's totally doing all the hard work. And then, but as, as I say, all the promotion for, the, for the, the film that I remember was three Ghostbusters. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was actually a bit of a surprise in the film when I finally saw it. Oh, there's four Ghostbusters? All right, fair enough. Extra or, Ghostbuster? Extra Ghostbusters. Or, as, we're, as I'm claiming here, five Ghostbusters. Right, so you're saying Ray Parker Jr. I, is... I think he, just, he's, he looks like he's a member of them, but he hasn't got the uniform. So I think he's maybe like a volunteer Ghostbuster. You know, oh, like okay. They're overspill for, you know, same as Territorial Army, things like that. I, I think he's very much there, oh, if we need a bit extra Ghostbusting, we'll go to Ray Parker Jr., but he's not going to be the first person we'll call, ironically. Right. He's the guy, like, doing the day-to-day -day cleanup stuff of the, the slime. He's, like, putting the traps in the containment unit. Yeah. He's doing that kind of stuff that the, the Ghostbusters, they're busy out there busting ghosts. Yeah, as ghost, the... admin. ghost admin's a lot of work, and people don't appreciate that enough. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, yeah, I can see how that's uh, important. But yeah, Winston uh, gets his short shrift in the Ghostbusters canon. It's a shame, but uh, what are you going to do? And yeah, and then Ray Barker Jr., I don't know they really did much beyond that. I think he was a producer more than anything else, wasn't he? Or maybe, he's probably like one of those guys who wrote, a, I should probably have looked him up. <laughs> He was probably one of those guys who like wrote a million hit songs, but you never knew who he was. Yeah, I, I think I've got a very vague memory of having like a Def Jam compilation um, that was 90% rap, obviously. And then I think had a, the only ever other Ray Parker Jr. track on it. Something like that rings a bell. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Something else. Oh, when I was looking up this song is uh, it reached number one in the charts in, uh, on August 11th, 1984. 
and it stayed there for three weeks. It was number two in the UK single charts September, and it stayed there for three weeks. And then it says that the song re-entered the UK top 75 on November 2nd, 2008, at number 49. So there was some resurgence of love for Ghostbusters around November of 2008. I'm like, what was it? I was like, maybe it was like, you know, Obama's getting into the white house maybe that's it like people are like there people are like you know what black president let's celebrate black artists and ray parker jr got into that or not not black ghostbusters so much not black ghostbusters never black ghostbusters it's so so sad because ernie hudson's great in that movie yeah Uh, it's absolutely there's no reason that he shouldn't be part of the team completely you know he's he's actually he's around for enough of the all those sort of things it's just like nope we'll have three white just, you know. Yeah, it's it's same. It's it's racism. But Ghostbusters, great movie, somewhat problematic. Because why did Bill Murray bring Thorazine on his date? I, I, well, <sighs> nah, it's not it's not it's not the time or the place. But um, but yeah, great music video. But we're gonna move on to our next music video. I have no good segue for this. No, there isn't. There just isn't. <laughs> well, this is also kind of a horror. Well, this is a more conventional horror movie this is one that i picked so you you pick ghostbusters and you pick wild wild west which we talked about yeah and uh i wanted to find another movie another music video that was like the movie's title is also the title of the song and i looked around for some and i found some good ones but then i found well not that this isn't a good one but i found dream warriors by dokken which is the official song from uh the movie's nightmare the movie nightmare on elm street 3 the Dream Warriors, which is the third installment in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Have you seen this movie? So this was the first Nightmare on Elm Street I saw. Is it? Yeah. Lost. I, I knew all about it. It was very popular amongst my peer group, you know, but I, I was never, I was never ever massive on horror films. So just not from a point of view of being old enough or anything like that. I just wasn't that bothered to watch them. You know, this in partic- particularly Nightmare on Elm Street, because it did seem quite cheesy from the outset. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it just it came along, and I, I actually, I'm sure there's a point about halfway through where you haven't had very much Freddy, but you've had a lot of psychological stuff. Uh-huh. And I was like, I know what's going to happen next. And it's a shame, because if you kept the is Freddy purely all in their minds element to it, it might actually have been a good film. It's just, I remember a point early on that it was just like... That's not the Nightmare on Elm Street MO. <laughs> exactly. This, I knew that. I, I, wasn't, I knew I wasn't about to be pleasantly surprised. So for anybody who doesn't know, the Nightmare on Elm Street series is about a guy named Freddy Krueger, who was a child molester or child murderer. doesn't both. matter. Both? Okay. Yeah. I don't know why one is better than the other. I guess they're both. Yeah, it's real neck and neck there. But anyways, he is then murdered by the parents of whatever the town is, uh, somewhere in Illinois, I think. And then he comes back as a monster that uh, haunts the dreams of the children of the town and kills people in the dreams. And his most iconic accessory is he has big knife fingers on one hand. (laughs) And then he murders people in their dreams. If you die in the dream, you die in real life. So you can't go to sleep or Freddy will kill you. It's the whole thing. Basically, I would say that then from that point is basically a lot of that happens. People try and fight it. People die. At the end of the film, they've killed him of each individual film. And oh no, wait a minute. At the, the very end, just a little hint. 
haven't killed him yet, have you? Oh, maybe there's a maybe. <laughs> maybe. And as uh, I say, sure, there's variations throughout, but that is the that particular last thirty minutes is the last thirty minutes of every Freddy film. Right. Down. I, I don't know enough to say you know, like seven or eight or whatever they're up to, because there's no way I'd be watching it, you know, that they haven't messed with it a little bit to keep things fresh. But certainly early on, that was definitely the formula. The other thing about Freddy is it was like classic slasher genre, but Freddy was like wisecracking killer. So he'd always kill you and then he'd have a really bad joke or something. Yeah. As opposed to Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th series, where it was just a very slow, methodical stalker and he would kill you without saying anything. And he was, it was kind of a different vibe. And it's, what do you want? Which which one of those do you want if you're going to be murdered? Yeah. You know, do you want somebody who's who's quiet and practical about it? Get on, do the job, move on. Or do you want somebody that's going to introduce a little bit of entertainment, uh, but also you know, a horrific ironic element to your death as well? I mean, if it's my death, I don't know if I want it really entertaining people. Yeah. But I can respect, you know, somebody who enjoys their work. I suppose. Yeah. You know, I mean, I hate to say that being murdered at any point would be tedious, but you don't want to be bored by your own death. Huh. So you would prefer the Freddy death. See, I just want a quick machete to the head from Jason. Yeah. I want the Michael Myers, you get stabbed and then you're dead. It's it's funny. I can see how they made like seven or eight of these movies because you can be much more inventive with the deaths. But like thinking about it now, like the... The Jason Voorhees, the Michael Myers, who are just literally just stalking and killing people silently. It's like, how did they stretch that into like eight movies? I don't know. I don't know. I but I'm I've never been a big fan of these movies. I know the first one's classic, and they they turn Johnny Depp into blood soup. The second one is like the gay one, which I've always wanted to see because I've I've heard it's really fascinating. Do you know about this? I did not know it was the gay one, and now straight away, like yourself, I, I'm instantly curious. Okay, so it's not, I say the gay one, I don't mean that in any kind of pejorative way. I mean, it like the director was was gay and I guess the screenwriter was gay and maybe one of the lead actors. And then Freddie becomes a metaphor for the main character's sexuality and like him dealing with his sexuality. No, I said, wow, it, it, just, it just sound that's a premise. That's yeah, but it's concept. like it's subtext. Like it just works as a slasher film, but then I guess you can also like there was this intentional subtext that they put in there, which is kind of fascinating. Which I I always kind of want to watch because I I find that very fascinating. Anyways, Dawkins Dream Warriors, which I assume was written for the movie. Uh, again, as I say, I, so I saw this film, and whereas with Ghostbusters to this present day, it, I could think recall the Ghostbusters theme. Mm-hmm. Pretty, you know, it probably goes through my head once a week, bare minimum, every week for the last oh, bloody many years it is, a lot. I saw this film and I had no idea that this was the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a great song. I couldn't tell you any of the lyrics except for the chorus, which is Dream Warriors. And uh, oh, it, it's absolute root one metal of the era. I love how the uh, well, first off, it has Prakash Arquette in it, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, who I guess was also in the movie. That's what Wikipedia says again. <laughs> yeah, the Wikipedia page is great because it says Arquette's character Kristen is being menaced by Freddy Krueger before being rescued by Dokken, who drives Freddy off with the power of rock and roll, which. <laughs> I would I would put the case forward if, if that is true, but barely. You know, if ACDC saved her, I would argue, yeah, sure, that's the power of rock and roll. This is more the whimper of rock and roll, I would feel. I haven't looked into this, and I suspect I suspect they're not, 
but they so look like they should be one of those English lead singers of a mainly Brit American metal band. Oh yeah. There's something, something about the face. I mean, it's quite Bowie, actually, his face. Uh, earlier Bowie. But mm. uh, I'm really upset that there's not an English accent coming out there. No. It is. I mean, hair metal is a thing that I feel like is lost on me. But uh, I can appreciate a good power ballad. But I don't know. I don't know that this is... Like, what's a big Dawkins song? There isn't. Certainly, certainly like... I mean, I've got a reasonable acquaintance with metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dawkins made at zero impact in Britain, for one. You know, they they are way down the respect list. Hmm. Way, way down the respect list. They're just another hair metal band that kind of got lost yeah. in the shuffle. Yeah. But yeah, so but Dokken somehow their way up to doing the theme song for, for Dream Warriors. That must have been a great day at, at the Dokken offices. Well, the Dokken, you see the Dokken house in the video. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is like, So it, it starts out with Patricia Arquette doing a bit of crafting. She's doing some Maj Paj on a, a Dokken-themed house or barn. It looks very barn-like, but it's very weird. Like, yeah, so she's cut out all these pictures of Dokken. Shredded all these pictures of Dokken. Oh, it, it, it's not like it's pictures of them all around that. It's very much, you know, shredded up, glued together, you know, paper mache, whatever. Yeah, it's so strange. Like, I can't imagine there were this many pictures of Dokken ever. But somehow she's managed to cover what is a relatively small model home that she's made out of popsicle sticks with these pictures of Dokken. So she's made a Dokken home. But then we see it like at night, she's asleep. And then there's like a, in her dreams, she goes into the Dokken home. Yes. Which contains Dokken, I guess. I mean, I, I think it's also a reflective po- uh, plot point from the film. Oh, is it? I that makes sense. Yeah, they, that it makes a lot more sense. You know? <laughs> Actually, no, yeah, now that you say that, it makes more sense. Because there, there is like a shot of, there are some like shots of a, an old home, which like look way higher production value than the, mu- yeah. the music video. And you're like, oh, these are, they do. I will say that for as much as I complain about when they, just throw shots of the movie in to a music video. They do seem to have integrated these shots from the movie into this music video in a very seamless way. So it yeah. almost seems like, oh, this is just like like just a whole narrative. But we've yeah. just like it, it, it does work, and it it, does, it has a story that progresses, and that mm-hmm. you follow. But I would I would argue that one of the problems, the immediate problem you have with doing a music video for a Nightmare on Elm Street film is that there is so much of the actual action you cannot use whatsoever. It's very slashery. It's right. very bloody. You ain't going to get that on MTV. No, I suppose that's fair. So you- they're very limited in what they can do in terms of, you know, and those that's the whole point of the film. It's not like, oh, we can't show the murder scene. It's like, no, it's a lot of murder and we can't show any of that. So we've got to come up with something that, can engender fear, but not actually, it just, we can't use that, all that footage. They do get into classic movie, uh, creepy little girls. Yeah. I think there's some dolls here, or there's a, there's a point where she's, she tries to save the little girl and then she's carrying it around and then she looks down and it's like a burnt skeleton. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is rather disturbing. I felt that they'd sort of thrown a few classic horror film tropes at it. Yeah. Just to make it, scary yeah the little girl on the bicycle is absolute gold yeah 
No, absolutely. Yeah. It does. It's very atmospheric. But then occasionally we it's it's undercut by cuts back to Dokken playing their instruments. And uh, yeah, this lead singer, you said he looks very Bowie-ish. Um, well, I would say specifically, if you were going to go to a fancy dress party uh-huh. at Bowie and Labyrinth and you didn't have a lot of money for a good wig and you had a passing resemblance that was the only hint that would tell people what this was that mm-hmm. would make, that's what he looks like to me can i can i just say something that might blow the lid off of this whole docking thing uh that i didn't realize and i i feel i feel bad if there's anybody listening who's a big docking fan and we apologize i guess uh-huh. we didn't do our work i guess you'll be docking our pay all right. So I just wanted to be, put that in there that I was like, I wonder what this name means. But I found out what it means is that the lead singer and founder of the band is a man named Don Dokken. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, yeah, so Dokken is uh, just named after the much like Bon Jovi, the band yeah. uh, is just named after the man who uh, found it. That is amazing because that to me. Sounds like the retirement bungalow of a retired tugboat captain. <laughs> Don Dokken. Don Dokken. But yeah, it, I don't know. So apparently this is Don Dokken in this bad uh, wig. It's not, I mean, it is his hair, but it, it looks like a bad wig. Yeah. And yeah, and his band Dokken. I love how the, the guitar player has a guitar that's made out of skeletons. I would noticed this and I was totally unclear as to whether or not this is a prop for the music video. Oh, right. Or if this is, that is his guitar. You know, a lot of guitarists won't play a different guitar. They have their guitar. Right. Or their, you know, their brand of guitar, or their style of guitar. And I mean, if, if that is his personal guitar, you know, right. there, there isn't a big commercial range of different colours of built from bones and skulls guitars, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's got, because again, nobody else, you know, there isn't like, you know, the drummer's not playing with um, like dinosaur thigh bones, like it's on the Flintstones or something. You know, there's, there's not that going on. Right, right. He's the only one who has, seems to have a horror themed instrument. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I could see that going either way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think it's rad either way. Like I would, I would have more respect for him. I think if he always had a skeleton guitar. Yeah. Um, that that would be my preference. You yeah. know, I think you're, 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 if you want to, if you want to claim I'm a guitarist in a band, at a certain level, you've got to have your guitar. Yeah. Speaking of like scary imagery, like you know, at one point there is a furnace filled with uh, bones. Yeah. Which is quite nice. And then inside it is the Doc and drummer. Oh wait, but his see no, he yeah. does have like a skeleton drum got, kit. Uh, I just got yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's got skulls all around his. I think we've got to go with um, custom custom equipment. Like the menacing her in this long tracking shot of I think the guitarist and the lead singer walking a lot towards Patricia Arquette is amazing because it's quite it is quite actually it's one of the few actually scary things in the video. Right. You know, it's like you know you kind of figure Freddie's going to show up. You kind mm-hmm. of don't. The two of them are going to walk towards a teenage girl and not stop walking towards her. Yeah. You know, where I mean, okay, it was a different era, and a lot of bands of that era would definitely walk towards teenage girls. You know, we, we all know that, but right. um, it, it is actually one of the more 
creepy elements of this video. It is, but then I thought they were there to help her yeah, fight Freddy. But exactly. then they also seem to see this is the thing. They want to have it both ways. This is this this whole problem with the Ghostbusters video. It's like they want to be ghosts and busters. And they these guys want to be the heroes and the villains. Well it's, actually the, the vague little bit I can actually remember of the song is it, it's sort of like basically it's with the Dream Warriors, blah blah blah, you're probably gonna die. Oh. <laughs> and it doesn't that doesn't seem like you know, oh, oh, you know, you you be you will cease to exist forever. I think it's sort of like... they're they're like generals addressing the truth. Like some of you boys aren't coming back. Yeah, you know, we're out there fighting dreams every day. We're fighting for dreams. I'm not sure. It's vague. Is it the 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 video and the song are separately inconclusive? I would argue. Mm. See, I feel like they should be nightmare warriors because they're fighting against nightmares. Yeah, that that but would are... be. The warriors you want. I mean, right. surely, as you say, the dream warriors are just the guy, you know, the guys that are, you know, fighting you, having a dream that, you know, you're in a concert, you know, you're performing at a concert and your trousers are down. You could have, like, I was having a dream where I was flying and then these dream warrior dicks showed up and then they stopped it. Yeah. Like, stop fighting those dreams. Yeah, absolutely. Nightmare warriors. Fuck. In for that. I love some nightmare right. warriors. But, uh, but yeah, this does lead to what is kind of a, a funny, scary shot which is that British Arquette, who was carrying this child, she looks down, and now it's a, just a burned-out skeleton of a child. Yeah, is, that, is about, that is as creepy as this, film's gonna, as this video's going to get. It really is, yeah. And obviously, it's a, that's a nightmare. She's just woken up, and you see her just wake up and instantly go back to sleep. It, yeah, it's just <laughs> like, oh, my God, that was the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. She sits bolt right upright in bed. She is drenched in sweat. Like yeah. she has been sweat, and then she's just like, you know what? I'm just gonna adjust my pillow, and I'm just gonna go right back to sleep. Uh, at which point, she does the uh, model house she built lights up from the inside. Yes, and then she presumably goes inside of it, and then there's all kinds of weird stuff. See, I think this was all. This is hard to tell. I think this was all shot for the video. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Uh, as I say, I think this is the issue with doing the horror bits from the film as opposed to doing horror bits that you could show on MTV. Right. But I don't know. I, the, the production value is on this because the, the room starts tearing apart and it looks really cool. But then all of a sudden through the wall, it's the guitar. And he's just here to do a sweet rock and solo. Yeah. Uh, this is not, it's not going to hurt anybody. I don't think I've ever seen anybody appear out of a wall like that. It was pretty <laughs> rad. But it, was, it is it, at the same time, it's kind of like because the, the wall is falling apart and then he just kind of backs through it. Like not like that he was necessarily part of this. It's like he leaned against the wrong wall and then he just kind of fell into this room <laughs> and just, oh, I guess I'll just continue playing. And I meant to do that. Yeah, I'm just, just yeah. meant to come in here and play this solo and reassure you about Freddy Krueger. She seems less scared and more just like, what? That's so, it's so rad. It's such a good solo, I think, is, is what they're trying to, is the, what they've told her to portray. Yeah. Reaction. This is the best solo you've ever heard. It's not. But portray, it's the best solo you've ever heard. You know, awe is the look you're going for here. Yeah. And, and then she goes further down the rabbit hole. I love how she shows up in this basement and she looks up on some pipes or like on top of an old boiler. And then all of a sudden the drum kit for the drummer just kind of stop motions into place. Okay. So I wonder, is this actually the images from the Dock and House? So like the bits cut out of magazines, is this bits of those coming to life? You know, the, 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 the house itself, the model house 
So it's got these pictures, you know, the, the picture doc and she's got the magazine. It's one of them on stage. Yeah. On slide and he's driving, you know, but you know, a, a bit sort of, um, oh, take on me, a ha style. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I like to think that Doc and goes wherever they're called in order to save people from uh, terrible nightmares. I don't think they so much tour as answer calls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Doc and tour is actually just a series of responses. Call outs. Yeah. Well, I love the I love the kind of subgenre of band as mystical protector. You get this a lot with ZZ Top. Mystical tape. Yeah. Protector. Ooh. Or just like mystical guide or, you know, just kind of showing up when situations are bad or just trying to get you out of your humdrum life, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just I I think this is funny. Like, yeah, because they show up at the end. Freddie's there. They chase him off with. Like he can't stand the sound of Dawkins' music, which is a bad. <laughs> like he's covering his ears, but I don't know. He's a monster. We're not supposed to be on his side, anyways. He's a child-killing monster, right? So anything he likes must be bad. I think that's the theory. I agree. That's what they've gone in thinking, ignoring the fact that by this point he's already a cultural icon. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if the Joker said he liked Dokken, not everybody, but some people would go, "Oh, if the Joker says Dokken are cool, I like Dokken too." Right. You know, and it's absolutely not somebody you're going to get behind. But it's like you know, there's a certain you've got to that level of cult from being pretty good. But do you, you think people think Freddy Krueger is cool? I think I would say absolutely at that point in time, some people did. Mm. Definitely not me. But I mean, it, it absolutely was culturally iconic. You know, he's a very known global character. All right. So your stand is that you think Freddy was cool at this time. And I would like to, uh, <laughs> I would like to argue against that with the immediate next scene of the video, which is the final scene, which is then after Dokken uh, chases off Freddy Krueger, much to the delight of Patricia Arquette. She has a great, like, yay, look on her face. And then we cut to Freddy Krueger sitting up in bed with a, a doll that he sleeps with, apparently. And then he says, oh, what did he say? Like, boy, those guys were scary. You know, oh, what a nightmare. Who were those guys? You know, it's just like Dawkin is so bad. They scared Freddy Krueger. All right. That's how badass Dawkin yeah. is. It it really is just I feel like it really undercuts him as a monster. And them as a band at the same time. And yes, I do feel like that too. Yeah. I feel like nobody comes out of that exchange feeling like they're cooler in any way or scarier. It's just, yeah, it's it's I think it's a bad look for everybody. It's probably the most, it's probably the worst thing that this child murderer has ever done. Um, it's going to come out and say that. It's controversial for you, but I, I see where you're coming from. Right. Because, I mean, you know, he's a child murderer. I don't, you're not uh, I know that. I know you know, you. I don't, I don't support it, but I respect the work he's putting in. <laughs> you know, I respect what he's doing. He's out there putting in the work haunting children's dream. But I, I feel like this is just, it's just sad. It's really sad. Oh, All right. So let's get to the the main course, the piece de resistance. Yes. Of this, which is Wild Wild West by Will Smith featuring Drew Hill, Kumal D. Yeah. And this is, of course, from the 1996 film. 98 film? No. 99 film. Wow. What was I doing in 99? The Actually, 1999 film, Wild Wild West. A reference to that 
in the Willennium video. Is there? Somebody, somebody makes a joke about the Wild Wild West, like huh. right really early on in the video, just the sort of like there's a crowd scene and Will Smith hasn't shown up to the Willennium party yet, and it's nearly midnight and everybody's getting a bit tense. And somebody makes a, a jokey reference to Wild Wild West, which obviously they would know would be by him. So mm -hmm. get that out there straight away. So you know where I stand on Cisco and Cisco related material. Yes. Oh wait, I just want before we get into this, I do yes. I do remember seeing Wild West. I do remember this is '99 because I have a vivid memory of I worked at a movie theater. My best friend Jenny worked at a different movie theater, and one night we were like at her movie theater watching a movie for free, and we we're like, "This movie's terrible." And I was like, "Hey, you want to go see that new Will Smith movie at this other at the theater I work at for free?" <laughs> so few people have said it in the world ever. <laughs> yeah, I was just like. <laughs> that we were watching the movie we were watching was like it was called american buffalo it was like some indie film it was terrible that was because she worked at an art house theater and i worked at a big cineplex and then yeah i was like we want to go watch wild wild west and we we're like yeah let's go watch that and we went to that and we stayed through the whole thing and it was just like fucking hell like what a fucking terrible night at the movies we had <laughs> like it was just so for that but we didn't pay for any of them which was which was the best part it's the only good part one would argue oh no yeah. The, the company of friends but um no i've never seen wild wild west i never will because why would i why it, would you it, I, there's enough evidence gathered here and i know you know as we've discussed with the other two videos this is some action from the film and some music video right all the action from the film looks horrific and just no i am never seeing this film willingly it, yeah it's bad. It's like, it's stupid. Uh, everybody's bad in it. There's like, people make racist comments to Will Smith throughout the movie. And it's just like, I, this isn't, I don't want this. This isn't fun. Like, this is supposed to be a stupid action movie. It's just a comparison. I would say that, you know, there's racist comments in Blazing Saddles in the early 80s, but it's right. all irony and not against the person. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's that covers it fine i would never say that blazing salad saddles or salads blazing saddles was a racist movie but wow if in 99 they're still getting some good old racism into that yeah it's like uh it's so bad it's like the villain is saying insulting things oh no what it is is so the villain is a man played by kenneth branagh britain's own kenneth branagh he is a man who has lost in an explosion or in war or something has lost the bottom half of his body and he's replaced it with like mechanical. So he's all this like crazy steampunk stuff. Yeah. So at some point he and Will Smith meet, it's the big scene where the villain and the hero meet in like a public place and they can't do anything to each other, but they really hate each other. And this is right after the civil war. That's the other piece of important context. So he makes a lot of like civil war, like slavery references to Will Smith and Will Smith in return makes a lot of you have no leg jokes at the expense of <laughs> Kenneth Browner. So yeah, I'd forgotten about this. It's it's it, it is bad. It's it's really bad. It's meant to be like a fun jokey scene. It it's terrible. There's some cross dressing scenes that are that don't age well. Can I tell you that the the big scene at the end involves a giant mechanical spider, which most people would be like, all right, sounds fun. Not really dull really bad it's so stupid the whole thing is so dumb and bad it's it's just an incredible miscalculation based off of a tv show i don't think anybody fucking remembered who was that bit dude i do it's like this 
50s, 60s TV show, you know, that presumably would have been a lot lower budget. Yeah. I mean, I, I would put a case forward for it maybe sort of being like the American version of Doctor Who in that you've got time travel and aliens... Well, well, creatures, aliens, bits and pieces, all that sort of stuff. In the original uh, Wild Wild West series. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a futuristic element to it, isn't there? Well, see, I'd always heard it pitched as like, because I've never seen it, but it was yeah. like James Bond in the Old West. So it was very gadget heavy. Yeah. It was basically somebody from another time in the Wild Wild West. So he's got, in the Wild West, rather. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, obvious mistake. So yeah, somebody out of time there. So, but again, it's going to be with no budget in the same way that virtually all Doctor Who up until very recently was no budget. Even when they had budget, they had to budget. So like there's an entire series of recent Doctor Who that was shot entirely in Cardiff and not in space. Right. The amount of Doctor Who that takes place in Cardiff is astounding. And it's it's so hilarious. Okay, so the video starts with us moving into a town that is already destroyed, I guess, by Will Smith. Is it hard to tell? Just in the middle of the flames. Right, but he doesn't seem upset by it because he does his whole musical number. Absolutely Mm -hmm. fair. No, he he seems quite happy with it all. So presumably he has destroyed this town that I guess is full of evil people because he is a federal agent. Like he works for the Secret Service, I think. Yeah. Again, with the original one, I think there was an element of Secret Service to it. Yeah. But I, for, for starters, we established right at the start of, of the wrapping that he's called James West. Right. You have gone to the absolute minimum effort of character creation there. The, the, the show, the film, is Wild Wild West. Right. And I'm Jim West. That's how it's clever, because you think it's about the location being wild, but actually... It's about this man who is wild. You see how that's this works on a lot of levels. You're like, oh, the Wild West. I know about that. Oh, I don't know about this Wild West. Yes. Oh, and they threw in an extra wild just to let you know. Yeah. This is the appropriate point to bring in the best factoid I have for you, which is that the official fan page for the film Wild Wild West is called the Wiki Wild Wild West Wiki. That's pretty funny. That, that, is pretty, that is pretty good. I'll give him that. But sorry, just the, the extra extra W's and stuff. It, it just needed saying. Um, who is maintaining the Wild Wild West fan page? Oh, oh, trust me, that was my next question. The Wild Wild West yeah, wiki. And how many articles are on there? And do they, are there new ones coming up? Like, I don't... There are actually not new films coming up. The, the, but, I mean, oh, I don't know. Is there like a Wild Wild West extended universe that I'm unaware of where there's like tie-in novels or like comic books or radio plays of the Wild Wild West? I think the canon is a pretty small canon. Hmm. That is my Oh, well. It's just the movie and this music video. Yeah, and the TV series. See, I think that he did start this fire because at one point he's dancing in front of a giant flaming W. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, I feel like he has a... But yeah, and he is joined by Drew Hill, who until I started researching this video, I didn't realize was not one person. I thought Drew Hill was a guy. <laughs> yeah, because it, it sounds like Drew, not Drew, with a U. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that, that, that's not, if you if you don't watch, and I, mean, I suspect the rest of the world do not watch as many Cisco-based videos as I do. Right. Very easy to be unaware that it... It's a person. And actually, that is that is actually a point of contention that comes to bear in this video, during the filming of this video. Yeah, I saw that. 
Drew Hill split up during the filming of this video over how much she's paid Cisco. And it's, it's like there's even there's like a bit towards the end of the video that's another member of the band singing, uh, you know, four notes or something. Uh-huh. And I think that was the last attempt to keep the band back, to keep the band together. I mean, it is funny. It says that James Green retired from the group on the set of the video, feeling he needed to return to his gospel music roots. It's like the the shooting of this video or the things that he saw during the course of this made him feel like he needed to return to God. Like he felt like his faith had been challenged to the point where it's just like, I just need to get away from all of this. In, in the form of a, a religious experience akin to a silkwood shower. <laughs> it's like, he's got a lot to get over. Yeah, but I can see that like, they do put Cisco front and center and they put you in this weird factory where Will Smith is dancing. We're putting that in air quotes with, with Cisco. And I can't imagine what they make in this factory. It seems to just make steam and shoot fire, but but it has lots of cocks. It is this like steampunk aesthetic that they have in this movie. Yeah, they they, they were definitely trying to take advantage of, of steampunk being cool at that point in time. You know, they weren't the inventors of steampunk by a long stretch. This was no. We're going to co-opt the steampunkness into this film clunkily. I mean, I, I've got but very from a from a steampunk perspective. I, I sometimes find steampunk stuff looks really cool. And I'm I'm kind of into it, but like this is not this does not oh, look good. It's just it's a lot of Stephen Cox for no fucking reason. Yeah, I, I mean the uh, steampunk throughout the not in just the video, but in the movie is just dog shit. No, totally. The, the, the you know the whole aesthetic was that it was this. What if this thing had been invented at that t- in Victorian age? What would that look like? Blah blah blah. And it's just like it probably would look better than this. Probably wouldn't yeah. have as many exposed parts that you could get your yeah. fingers crushed in, one would hope at least. Absolutely. But um, yeah, you, you've also just missed, you just, you just missed out a little bit, jumped ahead a little bit, in that you missed out Kumo D. Oh yeah. Who, the elements of this song, I mean, namely the way in which Wild Wild West is said in the chorus, come from his original song, Wild Wild West. But that is, this is literally all he is in the video to do is to oh. sing the words Wild Wild West repeatedly. That that's his whole reason for being here. <laughs> they don't they don't give him any more work to do. Cisco even the guy even the guy at Drew Hill that isn't Cisco gets right. more to do than Cool Mo D one could argue. Well, you know, he sings Wild Wild West and then he also points at Will Smith as he's singing Wild Wild West. Yes. Again, it, going to my theory that it the Wild Wild West that it refers to is, is the man. Right. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll get that. Jim West, you know, Rough Rider, Desperado, you know. But yeah, that that is a good point. They they did bring this guy in for well, they they I don't know. I argue he has more to do than Stevie Wonder in this video, but we'll get to the Stevie Wonder's cameo. But so, I, also, I think that's the implied. If if you're assuming that they're appearing at you know they're appearing in the video and their music mm-hmm. is a video, obviously the the riff is a Stevie Wonder riff that's right. It's, oh, uh, it's called I Wish. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think, but I think the thing is, is that whereas you clearly only need Cool Mo D to say Wild Wild West, mm-hmm. Steve is there because he's playing that riff all the way through, and then you see him at that point, you know, he's there to cover that area of the song, which is quite a fundamental area of the song. Yeah, let's get to that. Well, well, we can't get past this Cisco, Cisco dancing with, with uh, yeah, with Jim West. I mean, he's wearing the weirdest outfit, which is just, just a vest, just a leather vest with no shirt on underneath, and leather pants, and this cowboy hat, and then gloves. Yeah, but it, it's... 
I mean, I, I would say this isn't the most practical cowboying outfit. No, no. You know, from a health and safety point of view, if I was going to dress as a cowboy and dress like either Will Smith or Cisco, mm-hmm. health and safety wise, at least far more of me is covered and protected if I'm dressing as Will Smith, who's basically in a suit with a bit of cowboy stuff on. I feel like he looks very stylish. That's the thing you could wear wherever. And it might be a little anachronistic, but he'd always look stylish. But I think if yeah. Cisco went out anywhere, he'd look like a lunatic. Yes, there there isn't a venue that you would wear that to and people would go, oh, that looks good. Well, uh, but it does seem to help him dance because he is doing a lot of dance moves. And this goes to the theory where it's like, yeah, he's dancing and he's really working it. Like he's like, I'm taking this moment and I'm doing some shit. And Will Smith is just kind of bobbing back and forth. Yeah, there ain't, there ain't no point where he's dancing alongside uh, Cisco. Dancing, you know, they're not doing any moves together. No. It's just, no, that ain't gonna happen. But you just see like Cisco, you know, he wasn't a solo artist here. You could see like, he's like, I'm going to make the most of this moment. And I'm oh. going to really, I'm going to belt it. I'm going to really put all the moves in. You know, you got to you got to admire his hustle. This Buster Rhymes is in Scenario by Tribal Quest. And it's yeah. a very good power play in that, that he's in a band, uh, oh God, leads the new school or something at the time. And all of them are in the, are in the Scenario video. Mm-hmm. But, Rhymes brings it, you know, and both in terms of his rapping and in terms of his look and everything, it's like, I am taking this elevated platform to the nth degree. And that's what Cisco is definitely trying to do here as well, I agree. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it worked because he's still a legend to this day. I find this very weird because my cat is named Cisco, but <laughs> I named my cat. My cat's name is Commander Cisco after Commander Cisco from D Space Nine. Yeah. But I think I, I, it never occurred to me that there was a thong obsessed rapper named Cisco that people might mistake that for. But... And do I, do I assume that if you were calling Commander Cisco in for dinner, mm-hmm. just be shouting Cisco. Yeah, so I, yeah, we just call her Cisco Bush for short. Yeah, so you've ended up with a cat named after the singer out of Drew Hill who was obsessed with thongs. Oh, well, nobody's perfect. Okay, so then we finally end up at this uh, ball, this like gala ball, which, you know, this stops the music video, which is always uh, always fun in a music video where they feel like they need to stop the music video to show you something like really important or dramatic. So he wanders into this. He's got Drew Hill there. I think he has Cool Modi yes. is part of this posse that he's put together. And he shows up. Oh, apparently this is Ricky Martin as a prince. <laughs> no, it's no, it's Enrique. Ang- it's, I'm sorry. It's Enrique Anglesis. I'm I'm racist, apparently. <laughs> and Alfonso Rivera's in here somewhere, though I think it's just a, a minor shot. It, it's a really... I'm gobsmacked that DJ Jazzy Jeff is in this. It does seem like a missed opportunity. Yes. I think he would be around... You know, he, he's off. Like he's in, he's in the Willennium video quite a bit. He's oh, not. Yeah. He's no longer part of the Will Smith musical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But he's in, he's in that video as Jeff from Fresh Prince Bel Air. Uh, uh, jazz from Jazz. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Though I love the idea of Jeff Prince, Jeff Prince from Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Enrique Iglesias is in this as a that comes to to nothing. It's like a useless cameo. None of the cameos do in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And the Stevie Wonder moment. Okay. So, wait, I don't want to miss anything because I know you have some thoughts on the Stevie Wonder moment. Uh, Yeah. So, everybody in the party, yeah, they're coming down the stairs and everybody looks at Will Smith. Yeah. And then just everybody turns to look at Will Smith. Right. 
Even Stevie Wonder. Even Stevie Wonder, yeah. Even Stevie Wonder tends to look at Will Smith. It's like, in, in fairness, having heard stuff about Stevie Wonder's sense of humour, I right. think he's been 100% behind this this idea. And it's it's the, sort of, the sort of thing, he, he does actually play little practical jokes and stuff, apparently, all sorts of stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, I don't know who suggests it may, I'm not saying it was his idea, it could have been, but it is like, overall, I probably wouldn't have gone with that. It is a strange choice to do that to Stevie, or I don't know, not do that to Stevie Wonder, but like have Stevie Wonder be like, yeah, I mean, I'm also interested in what's going on over there. I guess I'll look. Stevie Wonder, who I think is blind since birth, so you would not feel the need to. It's not like it's like a reflex that he's like not. It is such a strange, strange choice, but it is such a movie star choice for Will Smith to be like, yes, of course, the blind man would also look at me because I am the center of attention. Yeah, so he comes in, Everybody looks at him. He looks like he's about to draw a gun, but instead he just takes his hat off yeah. and he throws it. And I thought this was going to do something cool. And it kind of does, but I don't know. It like it flies around the room in this great arc and then comes back to him just as a white hat. Yeah. <laughs> and then the dance. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, it's like he's figured out he's figured out how to change the color of a hat in midair. Right. Well, and then his whole outfit. Oh, no. Because you see, that's your classic magician's distraction. Everybody's following the hat. Meanwhile, he's stripping on stage. Because he, nobody's looking at him. They're looking at the hat. Right, right. Strips on stage, puts on the white suit, passes everything up, and then catches the white hat. I mean, there may even be an assistant in the you know the balcony, the, the cheap seats, that's grabbed the black hat and quickly swung the white hat. You know, a seamless movement like that. Mm. So, He's done, you know, but that is absolutely the whole suit chain is just magician distraction, nothing else. Classic quick change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a very talented man. I guess we could put close up magic in in with uh, Will Smith's various repertoire of, yeah. of skills. Yeah, as you said, like as we talked about at the top of the show, the dance number just very minimal dance moves, uh, a lot of big arm gestures. But then, yeah. yeah, and then occasionally people will just come spinning in like professional dancers. Yeah. Doing big spinning moves. Cisco, in fairness, it's like it'll cut to Cisco doing something impressive. Right. Enough. Um, and then back to Will Smith not being impressive. People will throw themselves in elaborate ways in front of Will Smith, hear that he's part of a very elaborate dance routine, whilst yeah. not actually doing anything elaborate. I love, yeah, the, the women there, the skirts get ripped off. He's walking with one lady and he tears her skirt off. Yeah. which he does not seem to like and is was yeah. maybe surprised by. And she just storms off, which is such a fucking, like, like this is like our hero, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, he, he just tears the lady's dress off and upsets her. But then it, he continues with his night. So that's, and then 20 seconds later, she's dancing with him and smiling again. And it's like, you were just very annoyed about the whole skirt removal thing. Right, yeah, justifiably so. Oh, no, totally. Yeah, it's, that's very embarrassing. He needs to learn his boundaries. Yeah. Will Smith, because I mean, yeah, he's he's you know in control of these worlds. Oh, I do love that they didn't get any of the actual movie stars from them. Kenneth Branagh didn't come back for this. They have like a Kenneth Branagh lookalike. What what the absolute hell would you do with Kenneth Branagh in this in this dance sequence? Well, there's the thing where like it's it's implied that he's in the room menacing them, 
but there's yeah. some like over the shoulder shots of a Kenneth Branagh lookalike or whatever. Yeah. But you know, Kevin Klein's not in this either. And there's a shot of Salma Hayek, but I think it's just reused from the movie. Yeah. And then the lady they they get to they get the lady whose skirt she, he tears off. I thought was Salma Hayek for a second from behind, uh, but it was just another lady. But it was I think it was meant to be implied that it was Salma Hayek. Also, you've, you've got right about this. You've got him and Drew Hill and probably Kumadi walking together in a sort of stagey, menacing fashion. And as you say, you've got people flipping and doing stuff in front of them. But there's one guy that runs up and does a running backflip running forwards. Yeah. Which is quite impressive. And they actually tried to recreate that on the MTV Awards that year. <laughs> recreate it live. And the guy didn't quite get it right. And so in the middle of this live performance, you just see this guy running up, doing this front flip, lying flat on his face. Ooh. <laughs> and then, so having to sort of, in fairness, gets up and gets out of the way pretty quickly. You know, he's, he's not lying there. The rest he's the- a professional dancer, right? Exactly, like exactly. But he definitely hurts himself quite a bit. Ooh, I'm sure. It's, yeah, funny enough, they cut away very quickly, can't be one. But yeah, I mean, in this, the only person who's hurt is uh, Will Smith's pride as a dancer. Because, yeah, I never really thought about it. Like, But yeah, now that you pointed out, like, it is very, like, he is doing the least to look like he's doing. And there's a lot of cutaways. Yeah. There's not like, I feel like when you have an artist who's like a big dancer, like you have a Madonna or like a Britney Spears or Paul Abdul, who is just like known as being a very good dancer. You yeah. have long shots of them dancing. I mean, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Like from Time Memorial and movies like Gene Kelly and things like that, you want people want to see that. But yeah, these uh, it's well, like it just reveals the the weakness of the uh, the whole thing. That part of his triple threatness, uh, yeah. in other ways for his other ones. But also, there is a whole art form I feel to making somebody look like they're a reasonable dancer by matching the the, the move set. Yeah. You know, giving them, you know, making it just busy enough. People doing a little bit more around you. Cheryl Cole is is the queen of this. And that, oh, yeah. what you think of Girls Aloud or Cheryl Cole, she is in some very dancey videos where she does very little dancing. Mm. And it, it, as I say, it's, it's that sort of high level art of choreography. I feel. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It's a whole big spectacle. I mean, it is weird because he's wearing the white suit and that really does draw your eye to him. But then at the same time, because everybody's much darker, dressed much darkly, much more darkly, I don't know, than he is. Yeah, you, you he really pops. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, I think it's the quick cuts and the, yeah, the, like you're saying, like the noise of the stuff going around him, it just kind of hides it. But so you, you'll see this again and again in his own videos. It, this is basically something he does a lot. This is, you know, this has got Cisco in, so obviously it's, it's, you know, that's a good forty minutes conversation for me instantly. Right. Uh, I just point out that you know we're not that far from September the fourth, which it will be the sixth International Thong Song Day that I run. Um, so oh. you that on Twitter at Graham Hunter. It, it's I've run that now for several years, mainly on September the fourth when I've remembered to. It's sort of a floating holiday. Yeah, it's, it's like a movable feast. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm very passionate about. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I've had a lot of time for Cisco. As you well know, I pitched to you doing all Cisco songs for this, and you rightly rejected that idea. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'll, I'll put it forward. I know Matt's going to say no. I know why he's going to say no. And I know why he's right to say no. Wow. 
some other time. So kind of wrapping up, any reflections on these three videos kind of as a piece or individually? I think, you know, I will say as much as we made fun of it, I will say that the Wild Wild West video is probably my favorite of the three. I think the production values are really high and I do enjoy that song a surprising amount. Yeah, we've very much done them in order in order of budget. Sure. I would argue, you know, and absolutely as a as a sheer basic spectacle, this is way more elaborate. Mm-hmm. You know, the dancing's good that isn't done by Will Smith. Right. That's some good choreography there. I think it had the it had the minimal amount of menacing women. It had the least of of, of the three. And so that's a really nice positive thing. But yeah, I think that uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's about it. But uh, thanks, Graham, for being yeah. on the show. Thank you for having me, Matt. And, uh, we'll talk soon. Brilliant. Okay.